Welcome to the Father Jim Willig Gospel Teachings Podcast, presented by Heart to Heart, a Catholic media ministry. Father Jim was a well-known and much-loved diocesan priest from Cincinnati, Ohio. Inspired by God's Word, for many years, Father Jim presented a weekly Bible study on the Sunday Gospels. In 2001, Father Jim went home to the Lord after a battle with cancer, but his recordings and teachings live on to inspire thousands. First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, A rich man had a steward who was reported to him for squandering his property. He summoned him and said, What is this I hear about you? Prepare a full account of your stewardship, because you can no longer be my steward. The steward said to himself, What shall I do now that my master is taking the position of steward away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from the stewardship, they may welcome me into their homes. He called in his master's debtors one by one. To the first he said, How much do you owe my master? He replied, One hundred measures of olive oil. He said to him, Here is your promissory note. Sit down and quickly write one for fifty. Then to another the steward said, And you, how much do you owe? He replied, One hundred cores of wheat. The steward said to him, Here is your promissory note. Write one for eighty. And the master commended that dishonest steward for acting prudently. For the children of this world are more prudent in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. I tell you, Make friends for yourselves with dishonest wealth so that when it fails, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The person who is trustworthy in very small matters is also trustworthy in great ones. And the person who is dishonest in very small matters is also dishonest in great ones. If, therefore, you are not trustworthy with dishonest wealth, Who will trust you with true wealth? If you are not trustworthy with what belongs to another, who will give you what is yours? No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. The Gospel of the Lord. Again, welcome to everybody. I always uh, like to consider what we're doing here is taking a special class with Christ. And we're attending this University of Christianity where we're taking the hard and difficult classes on life, living and loving with the Lord. 
Today's chapter or class lesson might be entitled On Money Matters or Becoming Money Wise, or as I have titled the talk, Almighty God versus the Almighty Dollar. And before I begin the presentation, I want to say how important this is, considering the fact that all of us are living in society that's driven by our economy, right? You would agree with that, wouldn't you? And we are all part of this flowing river that's dollar drives most of what we see and most of what we observe in the society, in our country. And at times, it's moving us in a course that's counter to the course of Christ. It's almost as though we've got to step out of these waters sometimes and see if we're really heading in the right direction. Maybe we need to go upstream against the current of society in order to be faithful to Christ. And so this is what we're looking at, and, and hopefully we'll come to understand a little better by today's gospel. Jesus tells this beautiful parable, but as sometimes is the case, it's not immediately understandable. In fact, I would consider it one of the more difficult parables, if you will, more perplexing parables to really grasp. It, it's almost as if Jesus is commending this rather devious manager of money for his defrauding his master. And that doesn't make sense. No more than when you read about the county superintendent of buildings, remember, who gave himself a $102 raise without authorization. I mean, no one said, oh, well, good for him. I mean, he was let go immediately, thankfully. And I suspect he's not the only one of among us that compromises our principle because of this driving force of greed that is undercurrent in so much of our life today in the world. So we always approach the parable and the gospel with the obvious question, what lesson is Jesus trying to teach us? Let me give just a little background to this uh, parable that we could have uh, this much appreciation for why Jesus would draw on this image of the manager. In the pre-industrial world in which Jesus lived, agriculture was the heart of the Palestinian economy. The chief money matter was who owned the land, who controlled the land, and who took care of its produce. And so Jesus draws on this rather typical scene where a rich landowner, which was more often the case back then and there, would hire a manager to oversee the production of the agriculture and the harvesting. Peasants, most of the people back then, would rent little plots of the land for a certain percentage of their crop that they would pay to the manager who would oversee that payment and in turn hand it on to the landowner. So with that background and backdrop, we can now appreciate Jesus telling this parable about a rich man, landowner, who had a manager who was reported to him 
for dissipating his property, that is to say, squandering his property, which wasn't his property at all. So the master summoned the manager and said, what is this I hear about you? Give me an account of your service, for it is about to come to an end. Understandably, eh? He was calling him to accountability and informing him that he was about to be fired. And so the parable reads, The manager thought to himself, What shall I do next? My employer is sure to dismiss me. I cannot dig ditches. I'm ashamed to go begging. I have it. Here's a way to make sure people will take me into their homes when I am let go. Parenthetically, you see what's happening here. He knows his dismissal is effective immediately. But this very shrewd manager, and there's a reason why he was in his position. You know, he, he had a good business sense, a little bit of monkey business maybe. But he realized that there was a little window of opportunity that it would take the word of his dismissal a while to get out to the peasant people so he would quickly call them to him and offer them these generous discounts and so win some friends and influence some people for later on. Well, when the owner heard about this devious employee, he gave him at least credit for being enterprising. Why? And here's the moral of the story. Because the worldly people take more initiative than the otherworldly, that is, the heavenly-minded people, when it comes to dealing with their own kind. Clearly, Jesus is not commending the man for being devious or disloyal or dishonest. Rather, the key word here is for being enterprising about looking after his welfare. Jesus' point is, if the worldly people who are not directed by higher principles or morals or values are looking after their temporal welfare, why should not we spiritual people who operate out of a higher principle and motivation be enterprising about our spiritual welfare? And in so using this example of a bad steward, Jesus says, should not we be good stewards? At least this is the implication. Should not we be good stewards of our talent and time and treasure in order that we could secure an eternal reward in heaven? That's the moral of the parable. And then the, there follows in this gospel three little lessons on the use of money, if you will, how we can become money-wise. First, Jesus says, what I say to you is this, make friends for yourselves through your use of this world's goods so that when they fail you, a lasting reception will be yours. Of course, the lasting reception is heaven. And those friends that he's speaking about are primarily the poor and the needy. And so Jesus is suggesting the smartest way to invest your money is to invest it in service to the poor and the needy. 
for when then they get to heaven, they'll remind God of our generosity. According to the eternal perspective of time, the wisest use of wealth is not to be stored up for a very short-term retirement account, but for the long-term retirement. That is to say, if the only way we can take any money with us in the next life is to give it away in this life to worthy causes and people. There's a commercial I saw not too long ago that stuck in my mind about a, I think it's about mutual funds or something. It asked the, the question, how much time do you spend planning your one or two week vacation? How much time and effort goes into planning for one or two weeks? And yet, how much time have you spent in planning, say, 10 to 20 or more years of retirement? The obvious point is we forget the bigger picture and the more important point. Well, I would quickly add, yes, but how much time have we spent planning our eternal retirement? with God? And how do we invest in such a way to give us the perfect social security, spiritual security, when this day when welfare is up in the arms and Medicare, who knows where it's all going to end? Our greatest concern should be for our spiritual welfare, for God's eternal health plan. And this is where we need to invest our best time and attention and even, yes, our treasure. And the way to do that is by giving it away to worthy causes of charity. The second lesson on use of money, or in Jesus' term to be money wise, wise in the Lord's way, is this. If you can trust a man in little things, you can also trust him in greater while anyone unjust in a slight matter is also unjust in greater. These little things are what? The little things we deal with each day. But if you cannot be trusted with elusive wealth, who will trust you in lasting? What is lasting wealth? Those things of the spiritual realm I'm talking about. If you have been found untrustworthy with someone else's money, who's someone else's money? Keep that in mind. It's a question I raise. Who will give you what is your own? I'm suggesting, in my reflection of this gospel, that someone else's money is God's money. That all gifts that we have in life are God's gifts on loan to us. He is, if you will, that landowner. He owns the whole world and all that's within the world. And everything we have, even our life, our health, even our faith in our families, is not this God's gift to us on loan to be invested and used for the greatest purpose, the salvation of our souls and the glorification of God, so that all people could be at home with the Lord eternally and happily forever and ever. But that's a hard lesson to learn. Doubt that it would sell on Wall Street. I'll never forget the time 
when I was at a particular parish that we were looking at encouraging the people to tithe in our parish. You might know that traditionally in our churches, we have a hard time with that concept of giving 10% of our income when many of us give, well, much, much less. And so we went to this one parish that was known for tithing. We sat down with one of the ministers there and asked them to teach us about tithing and we could take it to our parish. And I'll never forget what he said. Even to this day, when it was about 10 years ago, his words still strike such a chord in my heart. He said, the problem is we make the mistake in thinking this money is my money because I made it. I worked hard for it. And we fail to see and understand in terms of a Christian stewardship that everything we have in life is God's. God's gift to us. Even our job opportunity is, in effect, God's gift. Now, granted, we have invested that wisely and responsibly, and yet it's given as gift for not just ourselves, but the wider human family. So he said, we need to turn that around and not ask on Sunday, how much of my money should I give to God, but rather, how much of God's money do I need to keep for myself and my family in order to provide well for them? These are the ones I'm primarily responsible for. But then secondarily, how much do I need to share with the rest of the family who I also have some responsibility for, particularly the poor and the needy, in order that God's work could continue to be done? He says, when we make that conversion of money, all right, then we can see it from a whole different perspective. By the way, this particular church, 80% of their people gave 10% of their income. Isn't that? That is amazing. Amazing. And they would give a couple million dollars a year away to the missions throughout the world. For every penny they took in, they as a parish also tithed. What a powerful lesson for us, and I think an, a wonderful application of this gospel. The third and final lesson that Jesus draws from this particular gospel is his powerful point. He says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or be attentive to the one and despise the other. You cannot give yourself to God and money. Obviously, money is not bad in itself. It can do tremendous good. In fact, it's absolutely necessary to live, to survive. Thank God for the gift. Except when it becomes a God, then I believe it's no gift at all in terms of doing good for ourselves. Money is neither bad nor good, it's just our attitude toward it. If and when money controls us, or even worse, drives us, then it truly has become our master. And this is what is so alien to making God be the Lord of our life. And God and money down through the ages have been strange bedfellows. 
so often in churches and religious people, and, and all of us, let's confess, sometimes it's our financial concerns that hold a priority over our spiritual concerns. Isn't that true? Well, ask yourself, when you sit down and make out your budget, do you ask, what would God want you to do? I, I wish I could do that when I made out my uh, internal revenue service. I wish I could do that. The point I want to make is, it's my observation that the bottom line in most businesses, both corporate and personal, is the almighty dollar that drives most transactions and actions. And obviously for the Christian, it must not be that way. The bottom line is to be God's will. What does God want for us? And we would all be wise to sit down with that question and ask, what does God want in my budgeting of my time, which personally for me, that's my most precious commodity, my talent, which certainly is just as rich a gift of God, as well as my treasure, that we could budget our whole life according to the priority of God and how he orders us and directs our life. Does this make sense? So, who drives us in life? Almighty God or the almighty dollar? It's one or the other. You can't have both. I'm reminded of the joke, maybe some of you have heard me say this, it certainly brings the point home, about the $50 bill, the $20 bill, and the single dollar bill, who were having this argument about who is more valuable. Well, the $50 bill speaks out boldly, hey, who are you guys arguing about? Figure it out, it's simple arithmetic. I am two times more valuable than you 20 or single put together. This, the $20 bill disputes that, though, and says, well, it all depends what you value. Value is relative. I personally value the fact that I'm more popular. I like to be with people, and they take me a whole lot more than they take you to the restaurants, the movies, and I get a lot more action than you. The single dollar bill was very humble. But after a while, he spoke up, you're right. It's all what you value. I personally value what's the motto that's printed on every single one of us. In God we trust. And personally, I come to church every single Sunday, but I never see you guys there. <laughs> to complement the parable that Jesus offers us today of the devious manager, I would like to offer another beautiful parable, a true story about a real Christian steward who gave her life for others. Her name is Oswello McCarty, who is from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Perhaps some of you read about her in the newspaper, as I did. She lives in, as I say, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and did washing and ironing for various of the bankers and lawyers and professional people in town. She scrubbed all the, her clothes by hand in the backyard with a washboard. She liked that old, old rugged way, thought it was much better, you know, hanging the laundry out to air dry and didn't like all these, you know, washers and dryers. She left 
the sixth grade when her aunt became pregnant and was unable to walk. She left school then to care for her and began this personal laundry job that grew through the ages. She did this for almost 75 years, rising with the sun and working till the sun set. 75 years. And just this past year, she finally retired and took most of her earnings that she had saved all through those years and donated it to the University of Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg, her hometown, to offer financial scholarships to students in need. The grand total of her gift was $150,000. The people were amazed by this, if you will, widow's might, almost, that it saved so much. And yet, clearly, she never spent hardly a dime on herself. She said in her own words, I want these children to have an education so that they could have a chance that I could never have. She never married. She had no children of her own. And most of her time, her free time, she spent, she said, reading the Bible. Is it any wonder that she would have read the very gospel we have read and reflected on today and understood and taken that to heart of how she could invest her life and service to others, her time and her treasure. Over and over again, people approached her and asked her, why didn't you spend this money on yourself? Because she never owned a car, only one TV and an air conditioner. She said she rarely turned on. And she said, when asked, why didn't you spend it on yourself? She smiled and replied, I am spending it on myself. In terms of the gospel today, you get it about our investment into eternal life. And so I would put that question to you. How can we invest ourselves? And the money's a small part of it, but an important part of it our time, our talent, our treasure, our whole selves, into service to God. How can we budget our time, talent, and treasure to accomplish God's work for us in life? How can we invest ourselves in the eternal health plan of God? Amen. Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.